is your bucket? <laughs> How full are you with life, the abundant life? You see, each of us has an invisible bucket. When our bucket is full, we feel great. But when it's empty, we feel awful. Mm -hmm. This bucket is constantly emptied or filled, depending on what others say or do to us. So we want our buckets full because when they are, we feel great. But when they're empty, we feel awful. So there's a book called How Full Is Your Bucket? It's written by a guy by the name of Tom Rath. And have any of you read it or seen it? Okay, so he says that every interaction that you have with someone can be a positive or a negative interaction and it can affect your health, it can affect um, your productivity at work. Um, so he's, he's, he's really, even how long you live and the effect on your relationships, it can, it can affect them. But you don't only have a bucket, you also have a dipper. And you can use that dip, dipper to pour into someone else's bucket and fill their bucket. Or you can use that dipper to dip from someone else's bucket. It's kind of like the Bible says, when you bless someone, you know, you're, you're filling their bucket, right? So to bless someone is not to empower them by speaking well of them. But to curse them is to kind of, I guess, disempower them by speaking evil of them. And so, so he's saying that when you use your bucket or your dipper, you're either filling someone up or else you're poisoning their life. <laughs> okay? So you don't want to be poisoning people's lives. You want to give them the best possible outlook uh, that you can. So and I guess the, the question then is, how do I make sure my bucket is full? Right? Because when your bucket is full, you feel great, right? So what do you think the best answer to that is? How do I make sure that my bucket is full? If fill someone else's. This is exactly what the writer Tom Rath says. He says the single best thing that you can do to fill the, your bucket is to do something for another person. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that go along with what we've been saying? The joy of the Lord is to share your faith, right? And so by doing it for others. That's exactly what Jesus did, right? And so here's what it says in Steps to Christ. We looked at this briefly last time. The effort to bless others will react in blessing upon ourselves okay so it goes hand in hand with what what tom rath had discovered so the best way to assure your bucket is full is to fill someone else's bucket look at this right? god wants us to receive much in order that we might impart much okay so it's not get 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 and keep 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 it's Give, 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 right? And that's the motto of heaven, according to Ellen White. She says, the motto of heaven, the motto of Jesus is to give, give. The motto of hell and the motto of Satan is to get, get. <laughs> okay? So we get so that we can give and we continue to live. Last time we talked about the purpose of Jesus and what was that? He was possessed of one purpose. He lived to bless others. He lived to bless others. Page 70 of um, desire of ages. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how do you fill someone's bucket? Let's create a scenario of how you fill someone else's bucket. So, say for example, um, you meet some person here at GYC and you've never met them ever before in your life and they're a happy, cheerful person and they're smiling and they come up to you and, and they say, what's your name? And then they, they greet you as though, hey, they know you and even though they don't know you, but they show that they're really interested in you and then they, they remember your name next time they see you and then they, they don't only ask you your name, they tell you their name and all of a sudden you made a friend. So that's called one positive. Okay, so they have now... Put something into your bucket. And then you um, see another person that you met a year ago, but you're not sure if they will remember you, right? <laughs> but then as you come closer, they do remember you. They remember your name and they greet you and you catch up as though there wasn't a year that was, that was even missed between the two of you, right? So there would be another positive. So right? now your bucket's starting to get full. And when your bucket's starting to get full, you're feeling really good. Okay? You made two friends. Well, someone you met before and they remembered you and now you got two friends. This is wonderful. And then all of a sudden, man, you look down and you lost your name tag. 
and you're feeling kind of bummed out, and you looked at someone else, and you're just like another friend who came with you, and you tell them, hey, I lost my name tag, and they look at you and they say, you shouldn't have lost that. You should be more careful, man. I mean, don't you realize you need that name tag in order to get into the, the seminars, and you need that in order? And you're just like, what's that? That's a negative, isn't it? Okay? But that's okay. You got two positives. That two positives outdoes that one negative, doesn't it? Yeah, and then another friend overhears you and says, don't worry, I'll help you look for it. Yeah. Right? I'll help you look. And they walk and you retrace your steps and you find your missing name tag. Awesome. And so what's that? Oh, you got three to one. This is looking really good. And then you get out your cell phone and you think, I am so happy I want to phone my friend at home. And so you call them and you tell them what happened about how you lost your name tag and someone helped you find it. And then they, they pause and they say, have you noticed how, much, how many times you lose things? You're always losing things. You should be more careful with your things. And you're thinking, man, they should rejoice and say, wow, the lost has been found. But now they're upset with you. It's like, oh, man. And so that's another negative. You see how hard this is? It's hard to fill up your bucket. You got negatives and positives fly, flying all over there, but at least you have more positives than negatives. Mm -hmm. There was actually a very interesting study that was done by John Gottman on why marriages succeed or fail. And he wrote a book about his studies. They studied 700 newlywed couples by recording a 15-minute conversation. And in this 15-minute conversation that these newlywed couples had with each other, they were just looking for positive versus negative interactions, right? On the basis of viewing these 15-minute conversations, he said that if the posit positives outweighed the negatives by a 5 to 1 ratio, the couples continue to enjoy marital intimacy, right? So five to one. Mm -hmm. However, if the ratio dipped below five to one, they would cascade towards divorce. He and his team, on the basis of viewing these 15-minute conversations, made predictions about whether or not these couples would be married within the next 10 years. Or divorced. Or divorced, right? And after 10 years, they found that their predictions were 94% accurate. Just on the basis of looking at a 15-minute conversation, that's incredible. And so that, that's an incredible study. And so it was very accurate. So he, he predicted if it went below five to one. There was another uh, study by Barbara Fredrickson and she, she honed it down. She said, you can't dip below three to one. So she says, if it's above the three to one line, then you're probably going to stay married. But if it goes below three to one, it tends to cascade towards divorce. Yes. Okay, just to like clarify, like, so the conversations, like the one couple, one couple would just co constantly talk about negative things? No, no, no. no so yeah, and, and sometimes yeah. it wasn't like an outright, it was just even a facial feature or something. He had probes all over these people, how much they were sweating, how they were interacting, their body language, yeah. everything. So those kinds of things, yeah. And, and just realizing, oh, there's a tension that's shown there towards it, you know, as a negative interaction as, as opposed to a positive interaction. Mm -hmm. So you know what it's like when you're looking at someone and they're smiling at you all the time. You're just like, ah, I feel better, right? Because they're, and they have to genuinely smile. Okay, if it's disingenuous, then you're just like, ah, that doesn't mean. That's even worse than a negative, right? It's like, that's fake, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so by shining light on what is right. So in other words, this is, this is what um, Tom Rath discovered. Now, when I'm talking about Tom Rath, I'm talking about someone who's, who's quoted a lot in a lot of these studies because he worked for Gallup and he did studies on over 4 million employees to look at one question. In over 4 million employees worldwide in, in, in one topic, and the topic was, are you getting enough recognition at work? Okay? And, and he, he looked at in, including 10,000 different business units, 30 different industries, and here's what they discovered when, when people were getting enough recognition at work or shining light on what they did well. 
they found out these four things. They increased their individual productivity. So just the boss coming up to someone. In fact, he asked this question. Are you, have you got any recognition from your boss in your work life? And most people said no. No, they had never, ever received any recognition at work. Not even any, right? So most people are not getting any recognition. Just getting one sign of recognition in a year could increase your productivity. But daily recognition, see how easy it is? You're, you can win people to Christ by just being kind to them, right? <laughs> I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, I, I, I talk to Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Mormons all the time, and, and they, they say they, they can just count that they can get at least 10% of the population by just visiting them. And they don't even have the truth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We've got something to share here, you know? And I'm not trying to put it down. I'm just trying to tell you. They, there's, there's so much more we have to share. And when you do share the truth, it's like, especially if you have something to share, right? So they increased individual prog- productivity. They are more likely to stay with the organization. They received higher loyalty and satisfaction scores from customers. And they have better safety records and fewer accidents on the job just by being recognized. Okay? So recognition is a huge thing. So filling up someone else's bucket at work. Mm-hmm. So we want to do a little experiment with you. So we want you to close your eyes for a moment. So close up your eyes. And I want you, we want you to think of the color red. Just think just of the color red. Can you like see it? Like it could be strawberries. strawberries or could the be. royal red robes of the queen. Just the color red. Can you see the color red? It could be a red stoplight. You see it? Okay, now open your eyes. Does red start popping out at you? Can you see any red in the room? Can you see any red? Yes. Yeah. Did you see it before? Oh, you see my lanyard? Okay, there you go. <laughs> I didn't even notice it. What happens? You start noticing things, right, that you're looking for. You see, you can see the sign up there? Yeah. You see the door is red? Okay, so when you, when you focus your attention on something, you see it, right? You tend to miss what you're not looking for. Now, here's another exercise. There was, I don't know if you've seen this YouTube video on, on, online, but it's of these, these basketball players, they're all girls, and some of them have black shirts and some of them have white shirts. And they have a basketball, and they're, you're asked this one question. You ask, how many times does the team with the white shirts pass the ball? So you have to watch the team and count how many times they pass the ball to each other. And so then? And then 25 seconds into the video, a guy in a gorilla suit walks across the court just for five seconds. And then when those that were asked to count how many times the white girls passed the those in the white shirt passed the ball, they were also asked, did you see someone wearing a gorilla suit walking across the court? Um, and 46% of the people said no. Right? They said no. <laughs> Many of them protested. They were like, there's no way there was a man in a gorilla suit. Right? And then they said, hey, we have to look at the video again because we don't believe you. And so they showed them a video again and every one of them, of course, saw the man in the gorilla suit. Why did they see it the second time and they didn't see it the first time? They weren't looking for it. What were they looking for? How many times? And so here's what happens. We filter things out. There's so many things that you have to attend to every single day that someone will say, did you see that? I didn't see it, right? And it's like, why didn't you see it? I saw it because you were focusing on it. So we tend to miss things that we're not looking for. Now, what happens if your brain is wired to just look for negative things all the time, right? What will you do? You're just going to look for negative and you're going to see negative. But if your brain is wired to look for positive, then you're going to see positive. And so you're, you're looking for blessings. You're looking for ways in which you can bless your family. And so this is one thing that, that um, Abraham Lincoln said. He said, I will never say anything negative to anyone ever. 
And after he died, it was discovered that in his drawer, there were all these letters to people that were negative that he never, ever sent. So he felt some things that were negative and he just wrote them out and he says, I will never send that to anyone. Put that in the drawer. But every single thing he ever wrote or said, even in his speeches, was always encouraging. Always encouraging. Wouldn't that just change your mindset and give you just a total outlook on life that is completely changed? So look for the positive and you will see it. So right now we want to give you another challenge Mm -hmm. um, to do because I don't think we have enough time to actually put this challenge into practice. practice. But we want you to write a short journal entry of a positive experience, right? Something positive that happened to you. I don't know how many of you are here. Some of you might already do prayer journals and keep journals. Um, every day. So, so after comparing um, different subjects who were asked to do this for 20 minutes a day for three days a week for one month, they found that their level of happiness always went up. And they compared them to a control group who wrote about just neutral subjects and nothing happened to their happiness level, didn't go up or down. So this is proven that this will help you not just for doing it for a month, but if you stop doing it, the effect on your happiness will continue to grow just thinking about it. So that's an incredible thing. So think about it and just highlight the positives. It doesn't have to take long. It doesn't have to even take 20 minutes, but to sit down and write about some positive experience that you had throughout the day. And uh, this isn't venting about something that was negative. This is saying something that's positive and it will rewire your brain. Just like if you remember yesterday, we talked about the Tetris effect, how people were playing Tetris all day and they couldn't stop seeing these little things falling from the sky, right? It's like, what happened, right? You're rewiring the way that you think. And so this is a positive Tetris effect they talk about. So, go ahead. Richard Wiseman was someone who did another study And um, they had to count, he took two groups of people, those who who felt that they were lucky, who thought that they were lucky, very lucky, and those who thought that they were unlucky, right? And then they had to count how many photos were in the newspaper. So they gave them a newspaper. And it was a newspaper that, that was, was part of the experiment. Yeah. So, so it, had, it had a certain number of photographs in there, but it also had certain messages. And everyone who sat in this, mm-hmm. is, in this experiment had the exact same newspaper. Yeah, so they created the newspaper for these lucky people and these unlucky people. And they all had right? the same newspaper. Yeah. So the lucky ones discovered that there were 43 photos in the newspaper within a few seconds, right? Whereas the ones who said they were unlucky took an average of two minutes to find the 43 photos. Now, why was it possible? I mean, how could it be possible for a person who thinks that they're lucky to take only a few seconds? Because on the second page of the newspaper, it said in a very large, bold letters, Stop counting. There are 43 photos in the newspaper. (laughs) That was it. So they could put up their hand and they say, did you get it? And then they wrote the number down and they were all right. All the people who said that they were lucky, within a few seconds, they saw that. Those who said, whether they were lucky or unlucky, those who said they were unlucky didn't see it. They didn't even see it. They counted every single one. Okay, and read through the whole thing. Now, and then, as an added bonus, halfway through the newspaper was another message that read, stop counting, tell the experimenter you have seen this, and you'll win $250. All the lucky people saw it. All those who said they were unlucky never saw it. So they had primed their mind already by telling themselves, I'm unlucky, I never see anything, I never get anything. Yeah, that's true, you don't. Why? Because there's some people who go through life seeing the missing tile, right? If if there was a missing tile on the roof somewhere, would you see it? Or would it just, hey, all the other tiles are there, why are we worried about the missing tile? Did you see that this one has spots on it? Does it bother you? 
Hopefully not, because the rest of them are all white, okay? <laughs> so, uh, you know what I'm saying? If everything else is perfect, you look at your kids, is everything else is perfect, and you say, uh, I think you got a little spot there on your face, right? And it's just, just, you know, your mom will probably, I'm, I'll, I'll clean it <laughs> off there. <right? laughs> but sometimes we focus on the negative too much. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. And if we're focusing on the positive, we look for the best in people, then we bring out the best in them. Mm -hmm. And we want to bring out the best in one another. So every single person had the same opportunity to get the $250. Mm -hmm. Every single person had the same opportunity. It's just the way in which they had wired their thinking mm -hmm. and programmed their brain to see things. Any of you afraid of heights? You know, this is the actual picture of someone who's lying on one of those tight ropes and uh, he's, he's lying on his back. <laughs> Would that freak you out? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, are you afraid of heights? Any of you? So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, there was a time in my life where I was not afraid of heights at all. Um, but when I was 25 years old, um, my brother was working, I was living in, in Africa at the time, and my brother was working on a scaffold. He was actually the safety man on the job, and it was at Kaminko. Uh, a Kaminko plaid was, a, 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 I don't know what they make, I can't even remember now, I think it was metal or something like that, and uh, it was in Rossland, British Columbia. And he was working the all-night shift, and it was late, and the snow was blowing, and, and, and the wind was hitting against his back, and he was way up, more than 50 feet up in the air, and he was working on scaffold, and there was black, a sheath of black ice across the, the scaffold board, and, and he, he had this harness, this safety belt on, and, and the wind was blowing him against the pipes and everything, and then he had to move from where he was working, because he had finished working there, to another spot, and he had to unclip his belt. And so as he was unclipping his belt, he was holding on and he was moving to the next spot. And as he did, his foot slipped. And as it slipped, he fell. And he fell. And as he was going down, he was hitting pipes on the way down. His helmet was thrown off and he hit his head and, you know, banged himself all up. And then he hit the ground. And there was a, there was a, 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 um, a, a Christian guy who was really active in his faith and he ran over to my brother and my brother at the time he was 32 years old and um, and this guy ran over there and he held my brother's hand and he looked at me he realized my brother's really hurt and he says man just just hold on I'll be right back and he ran and he, he called someone and he said call 911 get some safety guys on the job he says this guy's really hurt bad and he ran back to my brother and he started witnessing to my brother and he started praying with him and saying you know, do you know Jesus? And my brother said to him, you know, I really do want to know Jesus. And, and he says, uh, he says, and he made it really attractive to my brother. And he said, well, I, do you want to be saved and in heaven? And he says, of course I do. And he says, well, pray with me. And so my brother was praying that he would, that he would end up in heaven. And, and it wasn't too long after that. And my brother died right there on that spot. And uh, so he was really banged up really badly. So after that, I was afraid of heights. Okay? My mind. Petrified of heights. So I couldn't go so anywhere bad. high. I couldn't even go along a road and look down. It was like too much. I remember the one time we went up to the Calgary Tower. Yeah. And there's a glass, like a glass floor, right? Yeah. And... Um, and it kind of goes out towards the ledge. And our youngest daughter, she was just tiny, right? She was mm. like two years old. And yeah. she was going to the end, you know, to go and look over. And it just upset Mike so much, right? Yeah. He couldn't go anywhere near. It was just basically glued to the wall, <laughs> right? And then, and then I said, Joanne, come. And she, and, she was like, and she turned around and she said to, she could see that her daddy was you know, upset. freaking out and he was upset and she turned around and she said, don't worry daddy, it's okay, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. <laughs> 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 so, so there was a, a member of our congregation when we were in Alberta and he said to me, we got to go out and go rock climbing, right? So here, this guy, his name is Spencer, so he took a picture here of me when I got to this spot here where I was hanging over the edge, it, it took like more than an hour before I got there. 
Like I was talking to him the whole time and he was like, it's okay, Mike, you don't have to go. You, you, we can go another time. And I was like, no, I got to get over this thing, right? I got to get over it. And so you got to tell me. So I stood there and I was like, are you, are you sure the safety gear works? Yeah, I'm sure. Are you sure it's tied properly? Yes. Is this harness working? How many people have fallen over the edge before? You know, does my helmet work and all that? And I was just scared. So I was just, I look like I'm smiling there and I was doing it for the picture. But I was like, I was like, I was really scared. And there was another camera at the bottom. So this is what it looks like from the bottom. So he was taking a picture of me going down over the edge and and slowly he talked me he was really patient really really kind and and he was just calmly talking me down and talking me down and says it's okay just go as slow as you want and believe me i went as slow as i wanted to i tried not to look down i just kept on looking up just looked up looked up looked up and and just went all the way down and so i got there and i got to the bottom and by the way, when I got to the bottom, I was still scared, um, but, but at least I had gotten over that little bit. And then the Lord took us and we moved to British Columbia. We lived there for 12 years. Before we got to British Columbia, I was, I was having night sweats. I'd wake up, I'm going to go over the edge, right? I was just so scared. Now I can drive in the mountains, it's no problem. But that was because there was a road that was really bad, right? And there, was a, there wasn't any... Um, oh, yeah. Barricades, barricades or anything, or anything else. But, but he's, he's much better with dealing with heights now. I mean, we've gone on swinging bridges, and he's been okay with that, climbing trees and climbing oh, I'm mountains. Fine now, yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it really comes down to this one thought. When, the cha- when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Remember, we right. talked about that last time, right? And, and remember Lucifer, he looked at, at Jesus and he changed the way he saw Jesus. Did it change Jesus? Who did it change? That's right. So the very act of looking for evil in others develops evil in those who look. You get it? So when you look for evil in someone else, it doesn't make them evil. It makes you evil, right? So that's exactly what Satan you know, wants for us. He wants to destroy us. Remember, we, we talked about this yesterday. That the mission statement of Satan and of Jesus is in one verse. One verse, John 10.10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. That's Satan. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So how do we share that faith? How do we grow that faith? Um, I, I want to finish with this little quote here. It says, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. This is the positive, right? What did he do? The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good, and he showed his sympathy for them, he ministered to their needs, and then he won their confidence, and then he bade them what? Follow me. Mm-hmm. So you don't just come up to someone and say, hey, come and follow Jesus. No, you've got to get them, you've got to show them Jesus mm-hmm. by the way that you live your life. So Jesus mingled and by sharing that faith with others. So I just want you to close that over there. Oh, I wanted to give you this one last thing. Before we go on to something else, I want you to put this down as something to do. In 2 Chronicles 20, I want you to read that and do that as your personal devotional and say, how did this guy, what was his insight? Like this, 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 um, King, how, did, how was his insight or his view of God so positive? Because it was amazingly positive. And, and, and how did it change? Okay, so read Second Chronicles 20. That's just something that I would encourage you to do on your own uh, before we go on to this next thing. So James 1 verse 2, I love this. It says, count it all joy. When? When you fall into various trials. So when things go wrong in your life, Praise the Lord. (laughs) Will things go wrong in your life? Guaranteed. So you start off the day and you say, this is the Lord. So this is the day that the Lord has made, right? I let us rejoice and be glad in it, right? So you don't know what the day is going to turn into. But when you have that positive attitude, you can face these difficulties and you can say, praise the Lord. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Isn't that a beautiful verse? (sighs) Yeah, it's a beautiful verse. Okay, James 1, verse 2. Say it with me. 
My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It goes on and says, for that, it was a, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, for the testing of your faith produces what? Patience, okay? As, and let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So imagine this situation. You walk into a bank and there are 50 other people in there. You got it? So you walk into a bank and then a robber walks in. And he fires his weapon once and he shoots you in the right arm. And you're the only one who gets shot. So you end up in the hospital and the next day you are released from the hospital. They took the bullet out. And you are returned home. Now, if you were honestly describing this event to your friends the next day, would you describe this event as fortunate or unfortunate? Fortunate. Unfortunate. Well, I was going to be unfortunate. That's not what I wanted to say. <laughs> unfortunate, okay? Usually Someone what... said fortunate. Anyone though. said fortunate? Okay. Why did you Good. say fortunate? Okay. I said okay. <laughs> Very good, very good. Yes, go ahead. He was released the next day. I mean, a gunshot. Oh, I've, I've seen what gunshot wounds look like. They don't look pretty, okay? So, anyone else? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. No, exactly. That's the thing. Whenever this question or this fake scenario is put, it could happen, right? But when this scenario is asked to audiences, usually it's roughly 70-30. Most people say it's unfortunate, and 30% say, yeah, it's, it's fortunate. So here's some of the answers that people have given. I could have walked into any bank at any time. This kind of thing almost never happens. How unlucky it is that it happened, that I happened to be there, <laughs> and that I was shot, <laughs> right? So this person, does he think it's, it's fortunate or unfortunate? Unfortunate, okay. What so. about this one? There's a bullet in my arm that's objectively unfortunate, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Okay, it says, I entered the bank perfectly healthy, and I left in an ambulance. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's not my idea of a good time, okay? <laughs> okay, now listen to this. This sounds like real stiff upper lip British person. This is fundamentally inconvenient. <laughs> inconvenient. Okay, what about this? There were at least 50 other people in the bank. Surely someone deserved getting shot more than I did. No, you. Okay, okay. So this guy, yeah, he kind of, feel, he probably should have got a shot. Okay. And he feels that way, right? Sorry. I could have been shot somewhere far worse than in my arm. I could have died. I feel incredibly fortunate. fortunate. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. To have that outlook, I think that's very positive. Okay? It's amazing that nobody else got hurt. There were at least 50 other people in the bank, including children. It's unbelievably lucky that everybody lived to tell the, tell the tale. That's beautiful. Okay, so what does it say in Romans chapter 8, verse 28? There you go. Okay. So here's what it says in my Bible. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And His purpose is to bless us. And to keep that in mind, that's very positive, isn't it? So if all things work together for good, you can say, Hmm... Somehow, this was filtered through the fingers of Jesus, and he allowed this to happen in my life, and I can praise the Lord for it, right? Mm -hmm. Something good is going to come out of this bad. It, it was bad, by the way, but there's something good that can come out of this. Look at this from Help and Daily Living, pages 30 and 31. 
It says the Father's presence encircled Christ, and nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. Yah was his source of comfort, and it is for us. He who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. Whatever comes to him comes from the Savior who surrounds him with his presence. And it goes on. Nothing can touch him except by the Lord's permission. It sounds like Job, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All our sufferings and sorrows, all our temptations and trials, all our sadness and griefs, all our persecutions and privations, in short, all things work together for our good. All experiences and circumstances are God's workmen whereby good is brought to us. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. All, right? God can work through these circumstances to bring something good. Not that evil is good. No, no, no. Mm-mm. Or not that things that are bad are good, but God can bring something good out of something bad, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Ah. Yeah. So, so is, if if you're living in sin, right? Can God save you from that? Yes, but He gives you the power of choice, right? Mm-hmm. So, when it says the wages of sin is death, it's like, what is sin? Is to live outside of God's will for you to to to. Uh, to be separated from God, to, mm-hmm. to break the commandments, right? So what, what are those commandments? Well, Eloi says that those commandments are the same as the natural laws. So think of the natural law. We have the natural law called gravity, right? Now, if I were to stand up on this building, right up on the 15th floor, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. If someone else is a Jew, and someone else is a Catholic, and someone else is a Baptist, and someone else is a Muslim, and all of us step off the edge of the building, are we going to fall? All of us, right? (laughs) He doesn't change it for anybody. You hear what I'm saying? So the wages of defying the law of gravity is you fall. doesn't matter who you are, right? So he's not changing it for anyone. So if I were to lie, does anyone get hurt? I say, what, I got away with it. Nobody knows. Yeah, I do. I hurt myself. Mm-hmm. I hurt myself. Every, there's a law that says, if I lie, I'm not being truthful. I'm not being myself. I was created to be truthful. I was created to be loyal to my wife. When I, when I said to her I would live for, with her and be, uh, be faithful to her until death do us part, being unfaithful to her, does it hurt? It hurts her and it hurts me. Mm-hmm. But what if no one knows? It hurts. You get what I'm saying? You hurt yourself because you destroy yourself every time you sin. So the wages of sin is death. Yes. Okay. If I was to fall off the building and die, and we all died, it doesn't matter if I say I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I have the same fault as, you know what I mean? I have the same fall. So the wages of sin. But can God bring good out of a bad situation when I do evil? Can God turn it around and bring something good? Well, Elway says that we will be, when we get to heaven, if we, you know, turning to him and because of his grace, we will be so close to Jesus that we will be closer to him afterwards than we would if we had never sinned. Hmm. Wow. You ever seen what happened to someone's arm when they break it? And then you look at where it's fused together where those two bones get fused together, actually at that point where the two bones are fused together is stronger than it was before, mm-hmm. right? So when bones get fused together, they are stronger at that point than they were before they got broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So God can bring something good out of a bad situation because He can do it, because He's God. Mm-hmm. And turning to Him and His love, He can turn around an evil situation. Look what he did with Job. It was a horrible thing. Satan thought to do something evil to Job, but God turned it around and blessed him even more. Why? Because he trusted. Job trusted God. 
I could go into that story, and it's a really beautiful story. But God really, God put his own reputation on the line by trusting Job. Mm -hmm. Because God was the one. Who, who brought Job's name up? God did. He said, have you considered my servant Job? Like, if I was Job, I was like, quiet. You know? <laughs> you know, Satan comes into his presence and says, see, everybody's on my side. I can see he's probably smoking a big Cuban cigar, you know, just blowing it in God's face. Ha ha, everyone down there is on my side. And then Jesus says, have you considered Job? And so Satan says, glad you mentioned that. He's serving you because? Because you're good to him. Because you've blessed him. Just take all that hedge of protection away from him and he'll curse you to your face. And then Jesus says, he won't. He's my servant. He's my witness. Right? That's what the Bible says. You are my witnesses that I am the Lord. Right? And so he says, go ahead. And so Satan takes a, takes a stab at Job. Why? Because Satan is saying to himself, you judged me that I should be kicked out of heaven? Oh, you're letting me judge him? Okay, let's judge him. Because you're wrong about me. And, it, and I'll show that you're wrong about me because you judged him as being faithful. And if you're wrong about him, then you're wrong about me. So God was putting his own reputation on the line. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So he was saying, he'll be faithful to me. I know he's my friend. And so what does Satan do? He hits his family. He hits everything. He takes away all his possessions. And then even the, even the servants come back and they say, you know, God sent this and God sent that. And, you know, and, and, and even his wife comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and get it all over with? Mm -hmm. And he says, no, 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 that's foolish. I, I can't curse God. Naked I came into the world. Naked I'll believe. And he says, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? He praises God. I will not curse God because there's nothing to curse. God is, has blessed me so much. And so God can bring something good because he had faith. See, God is faithful. Are we faithful? Why are we faithful? Because we are full of faith in him. Faithful means we're full of faith. Do you get it? And he who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also with much. And just, just the, the faith grows. Mm -hmm. And as we are filled with faith, we grow and grow and grow. Mm -hmm. So we trust him that everything that comes in our, into our lives, he is so wise that whatever comes into our lives, he can bring good out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As he did in Job. Faith and trust are basically the, the same, same thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, and you can't trust someone or have faith in someone if you don't know them. Yes. Right? Faith so. means trusting God and, know, and, and believing that he has our best interests at mm -hmm. heart. Right? He wants the best for us. So when soldiers are heading off for combat, I wouldn't want to go off to combat because it's not a pretty situation. But when soldiers are sent off to combat, psychologists commonly tell them that they will return either normal, which would be the best case scenario, they say, or you're going to come back with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. So, there are only two paths. Only pa two paths. Normal or um, psychic distress, right? Right. But now we know from so many other studies that there's also something called post-traumatic growth. Instead of falling down, falling up. So, in other words, you can grow through a distressing situation. You can grow after trauma. After everything goes wrong, you can grow. Mm -hmm. In fact, your, your life can get better. Now, let me just tell you about my story. When I was three years old, I think I shared a bit of it this morning. Some of you that were there. Um, when I was three years old, my parents got a divorce. Uh, actually, what happened was my, my father, he was, a, he was a good man, okay? He was a, he was a salesman. Before that, he was trained as, a, as, a, as an artist, and he was very good at his trade. But he had this addiction to alcohol, and it was destroying his family. So myself and my three brothers, um, we were put on a train from my, my mother, and she took us all the way across Canada 
to live with her mother. She couldn't take care of us, and so she put us in an orphanage. And so I was in an orphanage from the age of three until I was 16 years old. While I was at the orphanage, uh, my eldest brother, Joe, was involved in a tractor accident. And he, he ended up being pinned between two tractors, and, and he had his... His liver, his liver was, was punctured, and he had internal bleeding and ended up dying. And so my brother Joe, when I was 10 years old, he was killed. Uh, he was 18 at the time, and that was, it was just trauma. I remember my mother leaving us at the orphanage. I was three years old, and, um, and then at the end of the day, I'm looking for her. I was playing with all these other kids, and then they told me, this is your new home. You're going to stay here. I was, like, devastated, and I ran to the basement of this place, and I was kicking and screaming and no one could come near me and and then I I must have fallen asleep because when I woke up in the morning I was in in a bed in the little boys dorm now my brothers were separated from me the my two brothers elder brothers they were twins Pete and Bob they went into the big boys dorm and then my eldest brother Joe was taken to the farm and that's where he had been killed at the age of 18 uh, in the the tractor accident and so all of these things just were like is can it get any worse right and when my brother Pete, as I told you, he was killed, he fell from a scaffold uh, 50 feet up, it was like two of my brothers were killed. My, uh, my mother ended up committing suicide. It was a horrible situation. So all of this trauma, 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 trauma. And then one day, I mean, uh, my grandmother came to me and she said to me, I have found the truth, right? And she had gone to all these different churches and taken me along as a little kid. She would take me to these little churches, these churches, and I was just a little kid. And, and then one day she came to me, and she was a pretty hard lady. And you could see on her face she was different. Mm-hmm. You could see she was like she had become something changed in her. And she told me about the Sabbath, and she told me all these things, and, and I could see it was true. And, and so she told me what happens when people die and all of that, and she was teaching me from the Bible. And then one day she took me to a, a Seventh-day Adventist church. And I was 12 years old, I think it was. Anyway, around there. And uh, went to an Adventist church, and it was snowing out. It was in Regina, Saskatchewan. Okay, And I uh, got on a bus, and we went to this church, and the snow was like two feet deep. And uh, so when we got there, we got there before anyone else. The pastor was the only one there, and he was shoveling the snow off the, the front and so I went out there with a the pastor, and I was shoveling in the snow. And um, it was still dark out, actually. And, and then we went in, and they had Sabbath school and everything. And I remember the church service. The first sermon I ever heard in an Adventist church was on how bad cheese is for you. Okay? <laughs> and when I heard that, I said, this is the true church. Because if they know about cheese... They must know everything, right? <laughs> that was the truth. And I was like, this is, the, this is like the best church I've ever seen. They t- know everything. And then my grandmother took me to this, to this uh, meeting, and the guy that I'd seen on TV from It Is Written, his name was George Vanderman. He was talking at the front. I could listen to that guy for hours. He was so interesting, very, very interesting to listen to as a little kid. And, uh, and, and that was my first introduction to the Adventist church. And, and then eventually... Um, after my mother's death when I was 16, then, then my grandmother sent me to a Seventh-day Adventist school. And I was kind of a weird-looking kid. At that stage, I had long hair, I had dark glasses, and I was drinking a lot. Like, I was drunk almost all the time. I mean, I was a nutty kid. And so I went into this school, this Adventist school, and they said, you, you can't wear blue jeans. And I said, I don't have anything else but blue jeans, right? And I, and I had black T-shirts and, you know... So they said, that's all right, we'll take you anyway. And so I was the only one who could get away with wearing blue jeans and black t-shirts. And so I was sitting there in, in, in school, and I remember they had Bible class, and there were 30 kids in this class, and I was sitting there listening to everything this guy was talking about. His name was Dr. Owens. And he was talking about Daniel and Revelation, and he read this verse from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. And I thought, that's what I want, right? He said, you're in control of that. You can do that. And then he walked right up to me and I had this t-shirt on and it said on the front, crime of the century. And it was a band called Supertramp. 
and it was these bars that were out in space and these hands on these bars. And he looked at me and all that class was quiet because I was like this weird kid, right? And I was obviously not in a Seventh-day Adventist and I was sitting on the corner there and, and he walked right up to my desk and he said, young man, do you think Jesus would wear a shirt like that? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. <laughs> and so he said, yeah, maybe he would. And he turned around and he just kept teaching. And it didn't really phase me. But the rest of the class, they told me about this years later. They said to me, we thought he was going to ream you out, right? Cause, cause he, and, but when you said, I don't know, he was like, and, and then he said, and then he didn't get upset with you. We were all, ah, we breathed a sigh of relief, right? <laughs> and so anyway, so I walked into someone's uh, Bible study one day. I was going to play football. And I knocked on someone's door and I walked in there and they're having a Bible study and they're talking about faith. And as I was listening to this, um, I started asking questions. And, and uh, this guy said to me, you got lots of questions. You should read the Bible. And he says, do you have a Bible? And I said, I don't have a Bible. And so he says, here, have my Bible. And I opened up his Bible and it was all marked up. Like there was lines and everything in it and writing all over the place. And I said, I can't use your Bible. This is obviously your Bible. I, I can't take it. He said, I give you a challenge. If you read this Bible every single day, read at least a chapter a day, you can have it. So I was like, no, I don't feel good about taking your Bible. He says, no, 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 I want you to have it. I still have that Bible. Mm-hmm. It's falling it's apart now. I was it's like, I read it so much. And, and that's what changed my life. That, and that's the difference between falling down and falling what? Uh, up. Mm-hmm. You can fall up. Circumstances are not supposed to change you. I love this. This is from Ministry of Healing. Man can change circumstances, but circumstances should not be allowed to shape the man. Man can shape. Shape, sorry. Shape circumstances. Mm-hmm. So how could you possibly fall up? What possible good could come out of a bad situation? Right? What if you end up in the hospital? Or what if you find out that you have cancer? We had students who found out they had cancer. What do they do? I mean, what's going to happen in their lives? Could they fall down or fall up from the circumstance? What kind of positive growth have patients experienced when they were diagnosed with cancer? Right? So here's some, some positive things that people have experienced. You know, ever heard that expression, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Okay, it's true. For some people, they are so resilient. So some people have increased spirituality. I think that's a good thing. So their spirituality grows from this situation. They have compassion for others. So Ellen White makes this statement, it is our experience that determines our influence on others, right? So when you go through a difficult circumstance, you become more compassionate towards others. Openness increases. They have a heightened appreciation for and greater intimacy in their social relationships. So these are all signs of falling up, right? right? Of growing and they have an, ins- an enhanced self-confidence, right? It just makes them stronger to get through these difficult circumstances. So here's another quote from Help and Daily Living, page 9. It says, Trials and obstacles are the Lord's chosen methods of discipline. Trials and obstacles. Chosen methods of discipline and His appointed conditions of success. We're almost out of time. Imagine that you're standing at the top of a hill on a skateboard and they ask you to to calculate how far it is to the bottom and what is the slope, how steep it is. Yeah, so what's the gradient, right? So they ask people. (laughs) So they measured how scared they were. And the people who were more scared thought that it was further down and that it was a steeper slope and those who were more confident felt like it's not that far and it wasn't all that steep and so they found out something called an explanatory style what is your explanatory style how do you explain your situation and then they found that people who had a positive explanatory style had the ability not to um 
think that what they were going through would last forever. So it was something that was temporary and it wasn't permanent. But a person with a negative or a, a non-optimistic uh, explanatory style usually catastrophize the situation. Oh, it's always like that. It'll never be. Yeah. Just like the so people who are bad. looking. It's yeah. so bad. Just so those with positive would be, this is not that bad. It's going to get better. But the negative ones was, this is so bad. It's never going to get better. So they actually reached a state of hopelessness. Yeah. Right? Actually, like, yeah, they yeah. called it learned hopelessness, mm-hmm. where, where you felt like you were helpless and hopeless and you couldn't move out of this situation. So... This is the good part of this. You can learn a, an optimistic explanatory style. Okay, You can learn that. And you can learn it by looking at your situation and saying, this is temporary. It's not permanent. And, it, and mm-hmm. we can, this can go away. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be like this forever. And things are going to get better. I want to finish with this story, if you can help me. Je- or just give me a bit of your time. John chapter 5. You know this story. It says, now there was at Jerusalem a sheep gate, uh, sorry, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew Bethesda, which had five porches. So where was this pool? In Jerusalem, where? By the sheep gate. Do you think it smelled very nice? Any of you ever been around sheep? They don't smell very nice, okay? So there's a pool, and this man is sitting there by the pool, by these five porches, and how long has he been sitting by these five porches? In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. So they believed something was going to happen there. It says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, and it stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever diseases he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. So what was he looking at? Where did he think his answer was going to come from? The pool, good. Getting into the pool, right? Yeah. Yeah. So do you think he felt very hopeful? (laughs) It's... He was, feeling, he was feeling like very helpless. In fact, Ellen White says that he was the most uh, wretched man there. That Jesus, when he walked there, mm-hmm. he wanted to heal everyone. Mm-hmm. But he knew that he would have had like a stampede on his hand. And so, so, on his hand. So he didn't. He looked for the most wretched man that was there. Mm-hmm. One who felt like he was never going to be healed. His whole focus was on the pool and no one was going to help him. So when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Is that an important question? Why? You got to believe, right. Mm -hmm. But have you ever heard of something called, uh, well, I guess we just introduced to you, learned helplessness or people who are in jail and what do they do? They're let out of jail, and then they commit another crime, and they come back to jail. Mm-hmm. And it's called a high recidivism rate. Why? Because they, they know that situation. They're comfortable as prisoners. Mm-hmm. And so they keep on staying in this, this imprisoned state. So Jesus is asking him this question because he's, he's like, he has his hands up like, Jesus, give me something. And Jesus is not going to give him something. He's like, do you really want to be made well? Because if you're going to be made well, you're not going to be sitting on this mat ever again. Ever again. Have you ever moved? We just moved recently. We were 12 years in one place. We had to move. That's not easy. It's hard. Very stressful. Now, he was sitting there for 38 years. He's going to have to move. Right? And, and get you up. can see by his answer that, he's, that this man is focused on the pool. His whole right? focus is on because the pool. Because he said, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Right? So his whole focus on what? Who is going to heal him? Jesus. Jesus was there. Jesus was going to help him. 
But he's not looking at Jesus, he's looking at the pool. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. There must have been something authoritative about Jesus, what he said. And this man took hold, he didn't have to, but he did. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.